The Blur Havoc podcast may contain content some may find offensive, vulgar, or inappropriate for work or school. All views expressed on this show solely belong to the individual that expressed them. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to the Blur Havoc Podcast. I am your host, the ravaging, ravishing, very hot, Alistair Hagen. And I mean that literally because I just got back from the gym. I am hot. Oh my goodness, goodness me. Um, so did you do your homework? Oh, you thought I was playing? No, did you, did you do your homework? You remember what I said? Mass Effect 1, Furmire Choice, you... You remember that? Yeah, your homework. Did you do it? Okay. All right. I see you did it. You did it. You. What? David. Hey, yo, David. Yeah, I see you. Did you do your homework, David? You know, David. Hey, hey, yo, come here. Come here. Come here, David. Come here. We gotta talk. We gotta talk, David. Come here. Come here. Look. We already talked about this, man. I done already told you. I done already told you. If you come in this class without your homework one more time, I'm a failure. And here you are in my class without your homework again. Get out of my sight. Get out of my sight. Go. Leave. Get out of here. You fail. You fail, David. Get out. Try again next year. Next semester. Oh, we don't offer it next semester? Yeah, next year. See ya. Bye. Alright. What was I saying? Okay, so. We're gonna talk about moral dilemmas. Like, juicy, delicious moral dilemmas. That, genuinely, if you put yourself in that position, you would not be able to say that you could easily pick one or the other. I love this. All right, we're gonna talk. We're actually gonna talk about something I love. But first, we're gonna talk about our drink of choice today. This is a peace tea, tea and lemonade, which is an Arnold Palmer. If you're, you know, if you're from that realm of existence. So let's crack this open. This is a tall ass can, dude. Oh, you gotta love that that sound, that ASMR. Hold up, hold up. Let me let me give me some of that. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Sorry. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to uh, arouse you in such a way. But yeah, let's talk about moral dilemmas. Um. So let's start with your homework, right? Mass Effect One, the Vermeyer choice. Um, bro, let me tell you. So, in case you didn't do your homework, like Dave, um, the context is that. In Mass Effect 1, there's this situation where you go on this planet named Vermeer, where you're cornering the main bad guy, Saren. Or, I guess, it's like a, it's like a, almost a, what, like a, it's a 15-year-old game, so, I'll just spoil it. Um, Saren is actually, like, the secondary antagonist, but, 
um, you corner one of the main antagonists, Saren, and he, um, and he has, like, this planet full of, like, uh, artificial Krogan, which is an alien species in the Mass Effect universe, um, and your job is to basically blow it up because they're all artificial and they're just being grown for Saren's, you know, army, um, so on your way to an objective, well, first of all, you drop this nuke in the facility and one of your squad mates stay behind to, to arm it. While on the other side of the, the facility, you have another squad mate that you gave to um, the Salarian special task group that's on there, which Salarians are another race of beings in the Mass Effect universe. Um, and at some point, you're going to go give support to your other squad mate that's helping the Salarians. But on your way there, Saren sends a Geth-like squadron to the nuke site. And your team at the nuke site gets swarmed. So in the middle of that, you have to choose between going to save your teammate that's with the uh, the Salarians or your teammate that's arming the bomb. And the, the and it varies depending on if you chose to get who you chose to give to the Salarians. Whoever you chose to give to the Salarians, the other teammate will automatically arm the nuke. So if you gave Ashley to the Salarians, then Caden will arm the nuke. Now, what makes this interesting is if you romanced Ashley as a male shepherd, which you can't romance Ashley as a female shepherd because she's a Christian, but um, what makes this interesting is that backstory. Caden was on your ship, and he's one of your, like, basically one of your closest friends in Mass Effect 1. Or, you know, in the backstory of, of Commander Shepard, Caden is, like, one of your closest friends on the Normandy, right? And then Ashley is, like, this... Um, this what what do they call it? Alliance, um, not Marines. I forget what she, what her rank is. She's she's a she's a lieutenant commander, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, Ashley is part of the alliance. She's an alliance soldier that you meet on Eden Prime at the beginning of the game, and it's very clear if you play as a, a female, not female, if you play as a male shepherd, the game is trying to kind of nudge you in that direction to romance her. Um. You, you can avoid it if you want to. If you don't want to, you know, romance her, you don't have to. But the game is subtly, not even subtly, it's actively trying to push you in that direction or it's trying to push you in the direction of romancing Liara. Liara or Ashley, if you're a male shepherd, that the game's trying to get you to romance one of them. Um, oh, oh, excuse me. But, um, so if you romance Ashley, um... It makes things interesting because now at the Vermeer selection, you have to choose between saving your best friend or the potential love of your life in that situation, which is just 10 different kinds of screwed up. Okay. <laughs> and it, and it's an easier choice if you don't romance Ashley, honestly, cause it's like, oh yeah, Caden, that's my dude, bro. I got to save him. Um, but if you romance Ashley, it's like, ooh, Yikes. I don't know, bro. I don't know, bro. And sadly, Mass Effect never gets to that level. In it never gets back to that level of gut-punching, like, really hard decision-making. Um, where it's just like, dang, dude, like... I don't know who... To, I don't know what to pick right here. And... The last in, in the last time I ever felt like that was actually surprisingly in Cyberpunk 2077. 
Um, that was the second time I'd ever had a decision where I was like, damn, I really don't know what I need to pick right here. Um, and it was in the mission. Um, it's a, it's kind of a side mission, but I was surprised by how hard this decision was for a side mission. It was in the mission where, um, like spoilers, I guess, cause there's still people that haven't played this game, I guess. Um, but in Cyberpunk 2077, there is this side mission, like there's this mission branch, storyline branch, um, involving this politician named Jefferson, uh, Perales, and, um, at first you do, like, this side mission for him where you try to figure out who assassinated the mayor of Night City, but then they call you again, and it's like, hey, we got some real freaky-deaky shit going on in our apartment, bro, like, somebody broke in, um, and, like, all of a sudden, like, I don't remember what happened, I just woke up in my bed, and they were gone in the morning, I shot my gun, and there's no sign that, you know, there's no bullet hole or anything. So, um, yeah, we need you to investigate what the hell is going on. All right. So, long, so you know, you do a bunch of things. You find some secret rooms in the apartment and stuff. And then, um, long story short, you find out that the paralysis, his Jefferson and his wife Elizabeth, are basically being brainwashed. Like, not even brainwashed. It's, like, more extreme. It's, like, it's like uh, cybernetic gaslighting, dude. Where like they're rep they're having their memories replaced by this secret organization that, to be honest, is not. You never find out what this or who or what this organization is, which makes it really freaky. But, um, basically, Jefferson and his wife have their memories replaced. Like they're remembering vacations. Like he's Jefferson's remembering vacations they never went on. He's saying he didn't have a brother when he when Elizabeth's like yeah he did. And if you go to the if you go to the um it's like the cemetery thing out in like uh out in like on the edge of town you'll find out yeah he does have a brother. They they literally erase the memory of him having a brother out of his mind, which is terrifying. But that's not the hard part. The hard part is that Elizabeth knew the entire time. And she asks you not to tell him. So now you have a choice when you meet up with him. Because he wants to know your findings, right? He want, he, you either tell him a lie, saying that it's his, it's his private security that was spying on him. Or you tell him the truth that someone has been brainwashing him. And that was genuinely one of the hardest choices in a video game I've ever had really hard because it because it was it was the it was the conundrum of do you tell him and set him free from this this facade or you don't tell him for his safety and there was there was no right or wrong answer it was definitely a morally gray situation my dog likes to get in my tub for some reason and and it was brilliant because I, like, for the first time in a long time, I genuinely paused the game and I just said, what the fuck am I about to pick, bro? And to tell you the truth, the first time I did it, I picked to not tell him. I told him that it was his private security that was spying on him for safety. Because I was like, I don't want this guy getting killed. But at the same time, it's scary when you realize that Jefferson is a politician that's running for office. Your politician being brainwashed is just one the peak peak horrors uh, when it comes to political like political speculative fiction. Now, if you if you don't if you don't tell him, you know he lives a life and he gets 
he gets elected, and he's the mayor of Night City now, and he's none the wiser. But in the back of your head, you're just like, bro, oh, I'm cringing right now, man. You just don't know how fucked you are. <laughs> but the second time, I didn't. I did tell him, and in the in the credit sequence. He's like he's spazzing out and he's like he's like he looks like he's lost sleep. He's paranoid. He's afraid to take his medication because he doesn't know which one is brainwashing him. He is out of it. And it it was genuinely just it was one of those things. that It's one of the quests that genuinely like stuck with me because of how hard that choice was. And I've done a lot of thinking and I'm trying to figure out what exactly makes that kind of choice hard. And. And like I said in my previous episode, one of the things that makes it hard is that it the you can't have it all. There's no one, you know, there's no one choice that's, you know, perfect. Like in the in the situation with Blur Havoc, where I, the, the previous episode I was talking about a speculative Blur Havoc 3, where Alistair had to choose between peace in his time versus the love of his life. Where going back in time and saving his the love of his life creates this war this war filled chaos like driven reality that is the Blur Havoc universe, while not going back and saving his the love of his life Melanie will create peace in his time, but his his the love of his life Melanie dies. So. It, it may be cut and dry for, you know, a third party because it's not your girlfriend. But for Alistair, who, which I forgot to mention this, in the, official, the, in the original canon, he was just as infatuated with Melanie as he is in the original canon. So this genuinely, this woman was someone he believed was the love of his life. Like his one and only, his soulmate. So he was like, do I sacrifice my soulmate? Or do I sacrifice the peace of the rest of the world? And it's it's hard to say what what you'd do in that situation because I bet you there's a but there's a there's a number of things you'd probably ask yourself such as would you even remember her? Would you remember what you had? Would you forget everything once you decided not to save her? Or would you remember the love that you had for this woman and you'll never be able to have it again? And that's what makes dilemmas like that so engaging is just is just the fact that it gives you a really screwed up cho- a screwed up decision that you have to make. And the two factors being it's got to be two things that you really really want. And the second factor being, first factor being, the, there is two things that you have to really want. And then the second factor being that choosing one of them makes the other one unavailable. You cannot have both. And one that did this, one that one game that tried to do this was Mass Effect 3. When they make you choose between the Quarians and the Geth. And it's just like, yeah, I like Legion, but I like Tally more, so sorry. But then what they do is that they screw it up is that 
if you're prepared enough, you can just have both. If you're prepared enough. So it's not even really a dilemma. It's just make sure you played Mass Effect 1 and 2 and you'll be fine. Well, play Mass Effect 1 and 2 and make sure you make the correct decisions in Mass Effect 2 and you'll be fine. So it's not really even a dilemma. It's just a matter of being prepared. And then, like, they have the Krogan genophage choice where you either choose to tell the Krogans that the Salarian Dalatras is trying to stab them in the back or you keep it from them. And you keep it from them. What you get for telling the Krogans is the, you know, the respect and honor from the Krogans while not telling the Dal... I mean, and while not telling them gets the Salarian support. Now, here's the kicker. How this plays out depends on who's in control of the Krogan. If Rex is in control of the Krogan, you better tell him. You better tell him the Salarian Dalatras is trying to sabotage some shit. Because if you don't, you're going to lose the Krogans and you're going to lose Rex. But if you if you have Reeve as the leader of the Krogans, then yeah, you can you can get away with it. Get away with not telling him. But that just makes the choice pretty obvious because of your your connection to Rex from Mass Effect 1. It's like I don't want I don't want to backstab Rex. I like Rex. He's a cool dude. But you're more likely to backstab Reeve because Reeve is kind of a bitch in Mass Effect 2. And the only way to have Reeve in the situation is if Rex died in Mass Effect 1. So that's not even really a choice. It's a matter of what did you do in Mass Effect 1? That's not really a dilemma. Uh, let's see. Mass Effect Andromeda tried to do this, but they made the consequences irrelevant. So, basically, you're on this, this Ket, um, man, I haven't played Mass Effect in forever, so, Mass Effect Andromeda in forever, so, the lore for me is a little bit, you know, faded. But basically, you're on this Ket ship that's connected to the Solarian, um, the Solarian ship, what do they call those things? Like arcs? I forget. But basically, the Ket is connected to the this Ket ship is connected to the Solarian ship, and you have to board the Ket ship in order to get the Solarian ship to be detached, right? While you're on the ship, you find out that there's a team of there's a team of Krogan that have been abducted by the Ket, and you have a chance to free them. And it gets especially interesting if you take or not what's his name, Drax, right? Drax? Is that what his name is? Drac? Erdnot. It's not Erdnot. It's Drac. Knackmore Drac. That's his goddamn name. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, if you take Knackmore Drac on there, it's like, hey, bro, um, yeah, so the, my guys, my guys, you need to go shape, you need to go save them. But it's like, and then the Solarian's like, bro, if you don't come save us, we're going to die. So you have to choose between either saving the Solarians or saving the Krogans, right? And guess what? It doesn't really matter. You don't save the Solarians, the Krogans just go somewhere. I don't know what they do. You don't get any bonuses for saving them. While 
And while if you save the Salarians, Nakmore wags his finger at you like, You should have saved the Salarians. And then he stays on your team. You know, you don't get... There's no consequences for making him mad. Like in Dragon Age Requisitions... Shit. (laughs) Dragon Age Inquisition... Um... If you, if you pissed around with your companions too much, they would threaten to leave. And some of them would leave. I don't know if you could get them back or not, but yeah, you could... Some of them would leave if you fucked around too much. But in Mass Effect Andromeda, you could literally... In one mission, uh, you have PB's loyalty mission. Um, where her ex is like, you know, being a pain in the ass the entire time. You have a chance, while she's hanging off of the ledge... To shoot her in the back so she falls in some lava. If you do this, PB does nothing. She says, she says you didn't have to kill her. And then you could just make up some excuse. And she's like, well, all right. And it's like, bro, like, look. Look. Me and my exes did not end on the greatest pages, okay? We didn't end on the greatest notes. But I don't want anything bad to happen to them. Holy shit. <laughs> like, if... Like, if I had a girlfriend that came across my ex, and my ex was put in a position where she was, like, gonna die or something, and then my ex shoots her back, I'd be like, why the hell did you do that? What'd you do that for? I Get out. Go away. We can't. No. We will never speak of this again, but you get the fuck out of here. Oh, my God. You gotta go. But but I'm 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 keeping that um I'm keeping that gaming chair you got me for Valentine's Day last year. Yeah, I'm keeping that. Yeah, I'm keeping that though. Nah, you can you can have the beanbag chair. That's cool. It's cool. Just just get out though. You psychopath. <laughs> but no, seriously. Like it, it, you have there are no consequences for any of your choices in Mass Effect Andromeda. And that was, I think that was one of the biggest criticisms of Mass Effect Andromeda is that there were no consequences to any of your actions. I think they were banking a little bit too much on possibly having another trilogy. But there are like no, there's no consequences to any of your actions at all. Like I don't remember what happens in Jaws loyalty mission. If you, like, there's a part where you had, he's like, hey, um, let me take care of this, don't shoot. Um, And I trusted him, and it worked out for the best. I don't remember what happens if you don't trust him and you shoot the guy he's trying to talk down. I don't remember what happens, but I, like I said, there's no real consequence to, you know, blowing it for any of these missions. However, in Mass Effect 2, there are consequences for failing to, you know, to listen to your squad mates. The, there are Tally's, the Tally's loyalty mission, Samara's loyalty mission, and Thane's loyalty mission. Which, let me double check. They are three of four loyalty missions you can fail. I don't think you could fail anybody else's loyalty mission. You can fail Zaid's, but not because you didn't listen to him, but because your morality is different from his. That's the only way you can fail his loyalty mission. But Tally, you can fail her loyalty mission by not listening to what she says. When she says, whatever you do, do not implicate my father in this. I will take the fall. Do not implicate my father. 
if you implicate her father, you will not be able to get her loyalty. And she will most likely die in the suicide mission. Thane, if you fail to tra trail the, the guy, the hit that, you know, his son is after, if you lose the trail, you failed the loyalty mission because you weren't paying attention. And then Samara, if you if you fail to seduce her daughter and lure her to her apartment so Samara can get her with the two-piece, uh, you fail the mission because you weren't listening to what Samara said. Samara specifically tells you what turns her daughter on. I don't know why she knows this, but she know, she tells you specifically what turns her daughter on and what turns her daughter off. If you fuck around and you tell her the things that turn her off, Morinth will leave and you will fail the mission. I have no idea why I failed that mission so many times when I was playing it the first time in 2011. Then again, I was a really stupid child, so that's probably why. <laughs> but that's I guess that's the bigger the bigger picture I'm trying to bring about in this in this um episode is the idea of consequences. Where are they? Where have they gone? Like even in movies, even in movies there are dilemmas, right? Such as um such as when Doctor Strange had to choose between letting them lose now and win later or lose in the long run and not have a second chance in Infinity War. Where it's like, I don't know if I'd have the balls to make that choice to to possibly sac Because remember, Doctor Strange, well, Doctor Strange did know, but um, j just think that you you thought about losing the fight today would mean that 50% of all life in the universe would die. And it may be you. That's a hard pill to swallow. And and that's 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 one thing that causes us to really admire these heroes and these characters is that they can make the impossible choices that we would not have the balls to. That's what makes them really admirable. Nowadays, you get screwed up, selfish characters like, hey, let's talk about WandaVision again for a second. Wanda, who decided to enslave an entire small town, was like, I get my fake kids and my, my living vibrator, and you guys get to live in purgatory, and you get my nightmares when you sleep, and your children don't get to come out unless I say so. Fair deal, right? What? <laughs> what kind of hero does that? That is so that's so selfish. They're not making a they're not making a a problematic choice. They're not making a choice that is hard to make. They're making the selfish choice. The easy, really fucked up choice. And people were talking about um Mahler points this out in his Justice League video. Um how the Flash and the Snyder cut is so brave and outstanding for reversing time and saving the day at the end of the Snyder Cut. And it's like, and Mahler said this perfectly. He's like, you guys are congratulating a man who sat in front of a button that would save the world and he pressed it. Like, why wouldn't he reverse time and save the world if he can so easily do it? That's not a commendable choice because he sacrificed nothing to do it. It's not like if he ran fat too fast, his bones would split in half and he'd 
like fall apart or something. He can easily reverse time. He did it when he revived Superman in that movie. So there's there's nothing to applaud there. And then WandaVision, we're, we're applauding Wanda for sacrificing her children so that the people of Westview can live normal lives again. As normal as you can get after you've seen some crazy mutants, like, nightmares and shit. We're applauding her for doing the thing she should have did to begin with. Something that is not, in, not a hard choice. Now, another commend... Let's, let's end on a positive note. A commendable hard choice was what Peter Parker did at the end of No Way Home. Where because Green Goblin screwed up the spell that cracked open the multiverse, um, you know, Doctor Strange couldn't contain it, right? So Peter Parker says, how about you just make it so Peter Parker never existed? Which was an incredibly Spider-Man thing to do, by the way. This entire scenario is a very Spider-Man thing to do, and I absolutely adore it. Um, and him deciding to erase his entire existence... To save the world? Pretty rad. It's a hard choice because it's like, you don't want to lose everything, you just want to lose the negative things. Hey. Who did you get this? Just, oh. Um, shut up, bro. But yeah. um, You don't want to lose the good things, you just want to lose the negative things. This is how this entire thing started. Um, But he decided to... Whoops. And I'm screwing up. Um, but he decided to save the world by sacrificing everything he worked for. Just, that's a hard choice to make, man. Which is selfless. That's one of the biggest things about a lot of these hard choices is is being selfless. And then the second hard, oh my god, this dude made two really hard choices in this movie. The second hard choice he made was to not reintroduce himself to, to MJ. Because he saw that his friends were safe and they were happy without him. Without him constantly putting them in danger. I thought that, man, that was powerful. That was, that was some real Spider-Man shit right there, bro. Where he was like, I'm willing to sacrifice my emotions to make sure that the, the people I care about are safe and happy. And that's, that's harsh. That's hard, powerful beautiful and one hell of a dilemma to make that to be able to make that hell of a choice is amazing like the spider-man see what i did there <laughs> but yeah that's that's all i'm asking for when it comes to a dilemma make it make the characters make choices that i would not be able to make myself because i'm just too much of a selfish son of a bitch um like stuff like that is just I love stuff like that because it's it makes it it makes your character really admirable to have them make choices that nobody would want to make but yeah um that's all I've got for today um I'm going to finish this piece 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 tea piece tea if you say it wrong it sounds like piss tea but yeah, I'm going to finish this drink, and I'm going to head on to the hay, and I'm going to go to sleep. So, uh, 
I will see you guys in the next video. There's no homework this time, so don't worry about it. So, I will see you guys in the next video. Pit podcast. Shit. What just happened? Bro, they done threw me off. Dismissed. listening to the Blur Havoc podcast. Purchase the Blur Havoc book series on Amazon Kindle or paperback today.